everybody. Welcome back to MMA BJJ and life after a long, long hiatus. I am back with two new co-hosts to join this show. Of course, I'm your host, DJ San Marco. You guys know me from long time, been around the block, but you don't know these gentlemen, but you about to know them, okay? And so first, let me introduce our esteemed colleague here, Dr. Will Wu. And uh, my rock and roll bass playing both jujitsu phenoms, these two guys, both jujitsu heads, Nick Kazono. So, Will, say hello, say what's up. Hello, everyone. Thank you, DJ, for having me and Nick here. It's a pleasure. It's going to be a ton of fun. I'm going to try to poke as much fun as DJ as possible. Yes. So, yeah. it's, it's all in goodwill, everyone. No pun intended. Yes, I expect. <laughs> I would expect nothing less. Uh, Nick, how's it going, brother? Uh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm glad to be on this thing. We've had uh, numerous conversations about MMA and life and BJJ and everything. So now the world can finally kind of listen in. H hear us. Yeah. I mean, we have been so... Uh, I just want these guys to tell a little bit about themselves. We've been talking MMA for quite some time now. I've trained with both these guys. Nick and I met in Ohio at Helson Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, Helson Gracie Cleveland, to be specific. And then Nick moved it to California, and I moved to California about six months later. And then I met uh, Will Wu uh, out at Gracie Baja headquarters in Irvine. So. Will, just tell us a little bit about yourself. We did this all last week during our test show, but now you guys are going to get to hear it. So go ahead, Willie. <laughs> I guess my background, the most applicable to the show is I am a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu practitioner. Um, I like to say at the high white belt level, but others <laughs> can chime in. <laughs> um, I have angry, a angry blue belt, but go ahead. <laughs> angry. Oh, come on, DJ. We got to tell some stories then. Get set, <laughs> set, set the record correct without naming names. All right. Um, and I guess professionally, what I do aside from this, because this is really high paying, I'm about to uh, stop my career to do this because DJ has been so generous <laughs> with, with a multi year contract with this is I'm an associate professor at Long Beach State University in the field of motor control learning. So what that means, I have my PhD in motor control learning. Um, I have a BS in psychobiology. So I do a lot of research within the area. I run the Center for Sport Training and Research at Long Beach State. And then I also do a lot of consulting uh, with that specific scientific discipline um, with professional athletes and amateur athletes. Um, and I'm just going to combine that with uh, what we're going to talk about on the show with a variety of life things, MMA things, jujitsu things. And, um, you know, just kind of talk about from my angle, we all have different angles and I'll talk about um, a lot of things that I talk about will be from that angle. Can I get an amen? And, and by the way, Will, yeah, we got to get you to sign up for your 401k. Uh, for the show <laughs> and make sure you check in with HR. Nick. Hey, what's going on? Uh, yeah, my name is Nick. Um, I don't know. I've just been a, a UFC fan for quite a while now. I've uh, accumulated um, just, um, I don't know, useless information about MMA and various fighters throughout the years. And along that journey, I, I picked up uh, jujitsu um, and I've done it for quite a bit, I guess. But yeah, other than that, uh, yeah, I 
played bass in a rock band, tried doing that for, uh, you know, as a, a career, but got burnt out, all that good stuff. But uh, trying to get all back in school, trying to like, get into nursing school, all that good stuff. But yeah. Can I get Just a double amen? Some... Double amen. <laughs> and by the way, Jews usually don't say that, but, you know, that's beside the point. That's all right. Um, so one of my goals for today's podcast is if we, Nick, if you could get an accurate count on Will's favorite crutch word and see how many times he says it. Uh, and it's something that Joe Rogan does. And what it is is that he will suffix each point he's trying to make with the word right. So he'll make a declarative statement and then suffix with the word right. Just so, leading you into the right answer, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? <laughs> so we'll see if we, now that Will's aware of it, we'll see if we can, if we can catch him in anything. You know, it's kind of like trying to catch him in a submission. Like we, he already knows what we're going to do, but can we catch him? I, I don't know. So uh, we'll see. Uh, if I go over with it, <laughs> oh then that's, God. then that's, then that's two stripes off my white belt. Yeah, I should, I should, I should send you a Chicago style pizza if you're able to do that. I, I think uh, from uh, whatever that place is uh, in Chicago that's super famous. I can't think of the name of it off the top of my head. There are two of them that are really popular. Yeah, not Uno's, but what's the other one? Uh, oh, then there are three of them that are really okay. popular. Talk to me. Giordano's. Oh, I'm just, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know something the one like that. You're talking about. And started, then there's one, and there's one with a D that starts with a D. Lou Melnati's. Yeah, Lou Melnati's, and then yeah. The, yeah, I I get you a Melnati's, man. You know that could be I'll the prize. Like that. For this. They deliver them. They deliver them frozen. They do. They do. I, I heard. Yeah. So that could be a thing. Um. So you know we really need diversity on this podcast. So I think. I have to bring in uh, my friend Ricky Lamb, who's Korean, uh, so that we, we can actually get some genuine diversity here, Will. But <laughs> we got actually, a lot covered here. I know. We got a lot kidding. covered. I, actually, he'll fill both roles because his mother is Korean, but his father's Chinese. So he'll actually uh, be covering two, two spots there. Uh, I will. I will get Ricky on. He is. I need to get Ricky on at some point because he's one of the guys I trained MMA with, so he could tell you how terrible I was. And he's really, really into MMA. He's he's very thoughtful. So um, he's a, he's a is, is he also bald? No, actually, he has hair. Oh, sweet. His hair sweet. is even better than yours. So out of the, oh, out of the four of us, yeah, he'll be he'll be leading. You know. So we do a tag team, me and him against you and Nick. Is he yeah. bald. Yeah, we can do that, man. The ball guys. What's up? Man? The ball guys. All right. So <laughs> with with no further ado, let's let's jump into this week's topics. And uh, Nick, actually, we wanted to talk about your brother, Nick, Nick Diaz. Uh, oh, yeah. Return yeah. to the UFC. So if, if you could start with that and then we'll pass it off to Will. I mean, is that going down, though? Is that really... Or is well, that just like rumors? Just the thoughts of it. it it's yeah. Just, uh, yeah. I think Dana Dana had a comment about it today, and I don't remember specifically. He said something like, "We'll see." And I'll go ahead and start talking about the thought of it, and I'll go to MMAfighting.com and see what he said about it. Or Bloody Elbow. Uh, we don't want to. We don't okay. want to alienate Nate because Nate uh, <laughs> Nate from Bloody Elbow is my boy. Yeah, I mean, I I'm. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. Uh, I mean, I love the Diaz brothers. 
Um, I don't know. I think that last interview Nick Diaz did with uh, Ariel Hawani kind of left me not wanting him to come back. But I mean, apparently there's a video, or there's a a photo of him that surfaced from Ariel maybe that he looked like he's in pretty good, you know, shape and everything compared mm -hmm. to his last appearance on Ariel Hawani's show, um, doing that interview and everything like that. So I mean, I don't know um, if it's. Uh, I mean, they're gonna put him in. A, put him in against someone who is probably a good style matchup. They're not going to put him up, put him up against a wrestler or anything like that, that is just going to control him. So, I mean, it, 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 it could be a good, it could be nice. I mean, I don't know. I think, I mean, the fans are going to come out all over the place to, sure. to gather, to watch him fight. Just like, just like Nate for uh, Jorge Masvidal and everything like that. So okay. I just, you know, let, let, let me focus a little more on if I were to gauge your interest level in this fight, and the thought of him getting, let's say, a top five opponent. Can you give me what your interest level is, first of all, just in, in seeing Nick come back after six years? Yeah, I don't I don't I don't mind into that. <laughs> okay. Just just not in, I don't know, just uh like what you said, you know, the six year absence. Um he's probably training, obviously, but I just think the game has passed by Nick Diaz's style of fighting in, in the realm of uh, fighting a top five opponent. I don't think he could beat any of those guys. Um, you know, maybe a, a fringe top 10, top 15 opponent with an exciting, you know, more of a stand-up uh, style would be a, a good matchup for him. But, I mean, he is a name, so he's probably going to fight a, a decent name in the division. So it's kind of hard to put him up against a, a nobody. And he's probably not going to sign up to fight a nobody. He's going he's gonna to try to fight a potential name opponent that's going to draw eyes as well. Will, so. what is your interest level in seeing Nick Diaz come back? I tune yeah. into that. I tune into that because that that just inter the name just interests me, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, and you look more. at all this. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it! Okay. No pizza. Okay. The the name just the name interests me, and looking at his past fights, he's a very entertaining fighter. I like. I do like that. He is a he is a jujitsu guy that has a good stand-up game. My curiosity of it, not knowing who he'd fight, but my curiosity in it would be, what is he going to look like after those six years? Um, from a physical standpoint, we know as especially in the fight game, age is exponential, right? In terms of what you can do in the ring and um, the uh, I guess the gas tank that you have, and then. For me, it'd be really interesting to see where his skill set matches with a little bit more modern day uh, UFC style skill set. And so just those two worlds kind of combining, seeing kind of, I guess you can call it old school. I mean, who knows what he's been doing, but let's just say he's just got better or kept on training and he is where he is. It'd be cool to see kind of uh, older generation skill set against a new generation skill set. And then just being able to see him six years later, what can he do physically? So for me, I just look at that as interesting, regardless of regardless of who he fights. Scientifically speaking, right? Yeah, yeah. From from the sports science angle to it, um, I think there's a lot of a lot of interest in that, you know. And then occasionally, you know, we'll talk about GSP coming back, and that that sort of thing comes comes up because as you age, things don't get better. Right. Uh, per se, your experience gets better and that can help reduce things like reaction times and things like that. But physically, you're not necessarily getting better. 
your ability to read situations and environments and maybe change strategy in fight or between rounds could get better. But from a physiological standpoint, six year layoff. And how is he, how old is he right now, DJ? That's a really good question. Nick, if you can check that for me. Um, I'm, just, I'm, I'm thinking like kind of, his forties. He's probably he's in his forties. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like Nate's like 34, 35. As they say in Cleveland, I'm going to have a heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that would, that, would be, that would be something incredible, feat, like an incredible feat. But you know those 37. guys are. 37. Is he 37? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Faster I mean, typer than me. <laughs> and he's been, he's, been fighting, he's been fighting for a while. And so you look at the cumulative damage to the nervous system getting hit in the head repeatedly and choked and this is just not competition this is training also uh, that's also really you know and historically and probably even now a lot of fighters overtrain and so you have all those cumulative effects i'm just fascinated to see what it looks like in a in a modern day in a modern day ufc fight okay so now let's say guy and i'll get both your beginning with nick if we bring back diaz and Wonder Boy says I'm interested. Um, just on its face, how do you how do you like that fight for and for which fighter? I mean, for Wonder Boy and Nick Diaz. I mean, uh, that's a style matchup made for Wonder Boy to look good in my <laughs> eyes. I hate yeah. to say it, yeah. but I mean, I love Nick. I love Nick Diaz. I love the Diaz brothers. Me They're too. great, but but I see that playing out the way uh, Wonder Boy what he did to Jorge Masvidal probably even worse. I mean, I don't. Wonder Boy is hard to take down. Nick Diaz doesn't really have a great takedown game. So um, the jujitsu aspect of, of seeing that is probably not going to happen probably in that fight. It could, but I mean, a takedown from Nick Diaz on um, Stephen Thompson is not going to happen in my eyes. Uh, and it's probably going to be a predominantly stand-up battle. And I mean, Wonder Boy makes the style of Nate Diaz or the Diaz brother style is, is tailor made for Wonder Boy to just kind of exploit. And it's probably, it's not going to be pretty. I mean, I get why Wonder Boy wants to take that flight. I mean, to, to be the legend like Nick Diaz and then kind of from there, he could kind of pull himself into maybe a, you know, a top five, top three opponent and then get a title shot. And he's mentioned that before kind of going off track, but he's mentioned before that, you know, Hey, look at Jorge Masvidal. Like, he, he lost a couple, then he ran a couple great wins, got in the eyes of the public, and now he's, you know, facing, you know, getting title shots and getting money fights. So I think, you know, this would be a great opportunity for Steven Thompson, but for Nick Diaz, I just, I don't know what opponent would be good for him coming as, back. That would be a favorable matchup for him. As Lou Malnati would say, absolutely. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> well, um, you know, we, we talked about this, rel you know, I just want to move on from Nick just slightly because we talked about uh, with Leon Edwards, uh, you know, him, like, what is the potential if Nick or Nate were to get a fight with Masvidal when this guy, Leon Edwards from the UK has run off eight fights and how, you know, how incredibly, uh, how incredibly uh, nasty it is to tell a guy, you know what? You've run off eight fights. You got your Woodley fight canceled due to COVID, and we're still not going to give you a fight. We're going to give it to, like, Nathan Diaz. And someone said, well, why don't, you know, how about Wonder Boy? Wonder Boy is literally, like, the destroyer of dreams for people that aren't, like, 
like really good wrestlers. You have you've seen Wonder Boy fight extensively, I assume. This question is for me. Yes, Will. Yeah, the I was highly frustrated watching Wonder Boy fight Tyrone. <laughs> oh my goodness! Uh, multiple multiple fights of frustration. Um, wondering when is this college wrestler gonna take this? Was his main martial art Taekwondo? Ka- karate, yeah, he's karate, karate, style, okay. But yeah, he's a karate guy. I was like, this is like a no-brainer. This is old school UFC, right? The college wrestler is gonna take him down and then just do his thing, and then I'm sitting there for round after round, <laughs> probably getting an ulcer, going, why in the world? Uh, isn't this happening the way I imagined it in my head? Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's amazing how he can how he can force his style with I guess some really good wrestling defense and force people into uh, what he wants to do. Um, you know, you asked you asked Nick about the Nick Diaz Wonder Boy matchup. Mm-hmm. I think on the surface people would look at it mm-hmm. and go, oh sweet, you know, Nick's gonna do some has a superior ground game. But like uh, like our Nick said. Uh, he's not going to, it's going to be really difficult for him to do. And that might be a really, really good demonstration of modern day uh, MMA or UFC striking or stand up compared to a more, less refined, uh, you know, older UFC MMA. MMA boxing style, style. boxing style yeah. striking. Yeah, it's boxing, a guy yeah. who's like going to keep you at length with these kicks. I mean, totally. any, anything a UFC <clears throat> fan really needs to think about. If you want to talk about putting certain types of strikers against Stephen Thompson, go watch Jorge Masvidal versus uh, versus Stephen Thompson and how he dismantled him, and then look at Stephen Thompson versus uh, I think it was Vicente Luque that he took apart. Vicente Luque throws some very very hard leg kicks, very very durable guy and chin, but he can demoralize you, uh, and that's what he did to Masvidal. Masvidal is probably you know, when we like to say he's one of the best strikers in the UFC, we go, oh, wait a minute. Wonder Boy took that guy out. <laughs> I mean, but he's quiet. <laughs> he's quiet. He's not appearing, making, doing a whole bunch of interviews and so on and so forth. So we sort of like uh, like Will and some of his friends forgot about Dre. Uh, a lot of people forget about Wonder Boy. So don't forget about Dre. So Cal guys never forget about Dre. Don't Come forget on, about DJ. Dre. Come on, man. Okay. Uh, that would be, be another interesting. That'd be another interesting style matchup. It's the pre-fight style matchup of Nick Diaz and Wonder Boy. You have a guy. I I think I watched a lot of Wonder Boy fight more than seeing him, seeing what his personality was like not fighting. And he's very likable. He's a very likable guy. It was one of the things that attracted me to the early stages of USC. UFC. There was very little trash talking. All the guys really seem to care for, I mean, they fought each other with full intensity, but they seem to really care for each other. Maybe not care for each other. At least they were cordial and friendly outside of the ring and there was less the McGregorization. There was no McGregorization going on. Um, so it's a throwback to that. And then you have, you know, Nick Diaz does his Nick Diaz thing and, you know, there's a reason for it, right? There's an upbringing component to that that explains uh, his behavior or his personality and just that pre-fight, just that pre-fight matchup would be amusing to watch. Yes, absolutely. It would be very interesting to see if he could get anything out of Wonder Boy. 
but uh, we need to save him. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, seriously, because Wonder Woman yeah. might be like, wow, this guy talks a lot. We'll see what happens in the cage, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> uh, but we're going to have to say goodbye to uh, Wonder Boy and get with. Now, what? how many names does uh, Demolition Man, is that one of the uh, Overeem's names? Uh, oh, yeah, Nick? I think so, yeah. I think that's yeah. one of them. He has so many names. Um, he does. So... Uh, I want to talk about Alistair Overeem and his big win last weekend over, um, help me out, Nick. He fought um, Sakai. Sakai. Yeah, Sakai, right? the Sakai. Brazilian guy, the guy from Curitiba. Yeah. Uh, so he's supposed to build as, as uh, Brazilian Muay Thai versus uh, uh, Dutch Muay Thai. And very, very interesting. He, you know, and the reason I bring this up, guys, and I want to get your take on it is Alistair Overeem, a man, and, and actually Jed Mishu brought this up earlier on MMA Fighting about how many a bad losses he had. And not that wasn't at the forefront of my mind. I guess it sort of was because he did get KO'd in his last fight. But it makes it all that more interesting that he looked at a fight where a guy wanted to kickbox with him, a guy who's come over from Muay Thai, and he said, I am going to do what this guy's not good at. And Will just alluded to it with Woodley and Wonderboy. We've talked about it at length. He said, I'm going to take this guy down. And once he took him down and saw that success, he went back to it again and again. And it shows a maturity after four or five brutal knockouts that he's had from various people, from Francis, you know, who yeah. really knocked him dead, um, that Overeem comes back and executes and says, I have something that I'm better at. Now, I could sit there and kickbox this guy. I mean, he could. When, when Sakai leg kicked him, you could tell. We've talked about leg kicks as one of the preeminent weapons, especially calf kicks right now in the UFC, uh, that Overeem was not going – he was not dissuaded at all. You could tell that his legs were conditioned for leg kicks. Uh, but he didn't get into a Muay Thai leg kick battle once he got an outside trip and took Sakai down and then saw that – He's going to play double wrist control, open guard. He's like, oh, I'm going to have this guy because there's no way he's going to control my wrists for the rest of this round. That's not going to happen. He's kind of trying to do a Noguera open guard type thing. Uh, and then, of course, he finished him with ground and pound. So what I'm interested in here, uh, Nick, and then Will, is, is uh, a, a guy showing how to use strategy and to use his best skill set, something Will was talking about, against somebody else's worst skill set instead of attacking people in their strength. I mean, you kind of disclosed that right then and there. I mean, I think over the years and obviously those those brutal, you know, knockout losses that he had against, you know, like uh, Nganu and even Rosenstruck, you know, he's winning that whole fight. And then that one last punch just levels and then splits his you know, lip into 15 million pieces. It's like... You know, he, he and then I think his uh um his experience at Jackson's and everything like that gave him more of a maybe a strategy in regards to, you know, putting a fight in a position where you're more advantageous than your opponent. So I think all that, all the years of being in the fight game and, and just, you know, he's a smart guy in general too, and then you know, change of camps and or the multiple camps he's been through. Everything has has sort of given him these uh sort of a uh, arrival where he's at right now and how he approaches the fights. He's like, yeah, he's, he's fighting an up and coming 
sort of a young uh, a kid in Sakai who's a really good striker. And then what does he do? He takes him down and just, you know, totally nullifies his striking game and wins the fight. And then, I mean, if he didn't do these things, he probably wouldn't still be fighting. He'd still be losing, you know, and accumulating a lot of damage that would probably, you know, affect him in his uh, everyday life from the, from the future. So I think that's why he's still around to this day and still probably going so I don't know, whatever he feels like maybe hanging it up, I have no idea. But he's had a long career based on a lot of these um, decisions that he's making right now about putting a fight in situations that favor him, regardless of if he, if he thinks he can win a stand-up battle against another striker. You know, he's got a well-rounded game that could put him in an advantageous position against guys that don't have a well-rounded game like him. So This is 66 <clears throat> total wins, Will. Excuse me, 66 total fights and then 14 kickboxing fights. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of things trend positive for Overeem. So you have the amount of time he's had in the game. So he's been, there's a durability component there. And then there's also the fact that, have you looked at how his body looked in that fight compared to say his Lesnar (laughs) fight? Steroid use notwithstanding. You guys, you guys know what I'm getting at here. Yeah. And yeah. So, Uberim. Uberim. And so Uberim. There's another one. Uberim. I, I always I always say for height for elite level sport, you should always take the standpoint of just assume everybody is doping. And I think that's a better approach to take than to to think nobody is doping. And then when somebody gets caught doping, then you're surprised that they're doping. I've been around elite level sports for ever since graduate school and having a peek behind the scenes, it's probably a better, it's probably a safer bet to just assume that everybody is doping, right? In some form or fashion. So if you look at his durability over time, and then if you look at, let's say he's doping less, right? <laughs> we'll say he's doping less. <laughs> oh, we'll Will's he's doping... not willing to concede. He's not <laughs> conceding here. He's on well, that we, horse meat. <laughs> well, we've had the we DJ oh, and yeah. I have had this discussion. Once you start doping, there are some long-term beneficial effects that that kind of continue on for you. And we, you know, we can get we could probably get someone who's a lot more sophisticated in their knowledge about doping procedures and long-term and short-term effects and all that. This is just my kind of general knowledge from being around the sports science uh, in the sports science community. So you have those two things going, he's doping less and all of a sudden he's still in the game and he's still winning. I think he's a reflection of how he's leveraging his skill set, right? And not only his skill set, but executing the strategy for it. And so you had mentioned he just doesn't go into the fight, blast doubles or whatever it is from round one. There's a strategic component uh, with how he's, how he got or how he's getting Sakai to the ground. And so I think there are a lot of things that go into his favor, right? You have the durability. He's got some physical gifts on top of a good mixed martial arts skill set. And it kind of explains, you know, he does have some brutal, some brutal fights or some losses that look brutal, uh, but he's still in the game. He doesn't look, he doesn't look cognitively damaged, uh, which is pretty incredible. It is incredible that he, that he had the wherewithal to not say, you know what, I think I'm gonna hang it up because it's been four or five knockouts or six knockouts. And then he's like, no, you know what, I can, 
I can still do this. I mean, that shows a level of commitment and a belief in himself that's that's pretty inspiring. Yeah, because I'm looking here. Yeah, he lost to Jair. Uh, Curtis Blades he lost to. Yep. And, Chris and, Blades is a bad knockout, and, too. And Francis. But what did yeah. He, yeah, but what did he do? <laughs> he said, oh, you know what? I really would like to learn this wrestling thing. I'm going to go train with Curtis Blades. And now he's part of Team Elevation. So incredibly smart guy and um congratulations to the ream obviously i mean we alluded to to ped use uh i'm obviously ardently against that probably worse than anybody in this podcast but uh that's my problem uh all right so there's another (laughs) there's another (laughs) dj being against it and accepting that potentially everybody is doing it is two different things yeah i think you know uh when 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 men are taking steroids they're gaining advantage over other men i mean we all saw what uberim uh, the last time that he, before usada where he beat brock lesnar uh and he was all yoked up they were like the two most physically gifted fighters i think we've ever seen in the heavyweight division in the cage in our entire lives uh but when a woman does it then she's taking a, a gender that is the the uh, the less the the, the uh, sex that has less natural strength and aggressiveness, and all of a sudden they're taking testosterone or some sort of an androgenic drug, and you introduce that now you are taking a female and more or less supercharging her against, in some cases, a woman who hasn't taken anything, and that's where I really start to get. Um, I really start to get upset because uh, it leads to certain things. In fact, you know, I, I guess we're going to go there. I didn't. I wasn't going to go Uh-oh. there. But if you listen to <laughs> a podcast with Big John McCarthy and Josh Thompson a couple of weeks ago, they stumble. You know, like you're walking. You're kind of like walking in the dark, and you know that there are holes there. So you're kind of look where you're going because you don't have that little headlamp. And then all of a sudden, you stumble into like a little bit of a hole, you know, and you kind of turn your ankle, you got to jump out of it. Well, that's what happened with those, with John McCarthy and Josh Thompson. And here's what I mean by that. They meant to talk about Chris Cyborg as how tough she is and how she can take punches. And inadvertently, they got into a discussion how she had a sparring match with a guy named KJ Noons. Now, you may not know that name, Will, but he was a strike force. He was a striking expert, welterweight. Nick Diaz had a like a classic match with him in strike force. So, so now you have Chris Cyborg going at it with a welterweight man, and he's having to turn up the heat because she's hitting him so hard, and he's hitting her, and she's able to shake off those punches. That is what I'm talking about when and now at the strike in the strike force days is when before you saw it when she was actively using and she tested positive, you know, in, in a commission test. And that's what I'm talking about. That makes it unfair for every single girl that comes after because we don't know what it looks like when a girl who's not on when when she's if she weren't on and she's being hit by girls that also aren't on. But you develop that iron jaw, it changes your jaw structure, your hips, you know, your core, all these sorts of things that you use to develop power. And take it away, Will. 
So having said all that, imagine how good Amanda Nunes is. Incredible. Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. Right. Yes. So you you do bring up you do bring up USADA in your in your uh, explanation, and some people might be thinking, oh, you know, it's UFC so much cleaner now because USADA is around, or it's clean. Some people probably go as far as say it's clean because USADA is around. So let me tell you this: bless USADA for their goal of trying to keep the sport clean, but just because USADA is around doesn't mean they're clean. And it had at an early in my early sports science consulting career, I was in USA track and field. And that's some of the most sophisticated sports doping in any sport, right? And there was not only USADA, but there was also WADA that's testing these athletes. And these athletes are these speed power athletes, and even some endurance athletes are still not getting caught, right? With testing that's far more sophisticated or um, doping protocols that are far more, or sorry, testing and doping protocols that are far more sophisticated than what's going on with the UFC. So I think it's uh, it's a fairy tale to say that USADA is in the UFC and therefore it's clean. Is it a little cleaner? Probably, but these guys are making a lot more money now in the UFC, these MMA fighters. And just by connections, or networks, etc. Their doping protocols are probably a lot more sophisticated, or at least they should be, because they're probably making more than most U.S. or most track and field athletes are. So they have definitely have access. So I, you know, that whole thing about and DJ, you talk a lot about a lot about USADA and UFC's relationship and their role and all that. But please don't be fooled by the fact that USADA is testing UFC fighters that it's 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 a no it's a clean sport it's absolutely not no no I I know and uh we won't we won't have those discussions about John Jones and the whole moving the fight to California and all that we won't get into that now and I also want to say before we we pass it over to Nick because we're going to talk about Damian Maya versus uh uh Kamzad Ch- uh, Chimaev but uh I, I just want to say this is not an attack on Cyborg or anything like that. She's a phenomenal person. Uh, she's a humanitarian. She's somebody that I regard and respect as a person. But relative to when we start having these GOAT conversations, which is what uh, John McCarthy and Josh Thompson were attempting to do before they stumbled in that hole about her taking punches from a welterweight, um, is that it, it, it makes it unfair for the other people. I'm not trying to tarnish Cyborg. I'm just trying to say that uh, that if we're going to have a GOAT conversation, the person has to be clean. It has to be an Amanda Nunes. It has to be a GSP. It has to be somebody who has – a Daniel Cormier, somebody who has never tested positive. And then – TJ, let me interrupt you there because I don't think it's so – I don't think it should be so clear-cut that – they have to be clean. I think you look at it in terms of who the athlete is, right? So, so for example, I'm not, I don't, I'm not, I don't like Barry Bonds, right? The baseball player at all. One, because I'm a Dodger fan, he's a giant, but he's just, a, <laughs> <laughs> he's just an a-hole in general. But if you look at Barry Bonds, did he dope? Obviously he did. Does he still deny it? I think he still denies it, which makes him even more of an a-hole. 
but it's pretty obviously obvious that he doped. But some people will say, oh, so he, he's not a good hitter, right? Because he took steroids or growth hormone, whatever it may be. Even though I dislike Barry Bonds for multiple reasons, I won't say that he's not one of the still not one of the best hitters of all time, right? Because he is. He could hit the ball even before he was taking steroids. If you look at his college career, his early major league baseball career, he still was a fantastic hitter. Yeah. But then he, he started was. taking steroids and hormones. Came a home and run hitter. Now he's now he's hitting the ball much further, right? So you, I think, to be fair to Cyborg, and I don't know if you could do this or not, uh, just because these, you know, MMA is still a new sport compared to some of these traditional uh, mainstream sports is. Would she have still been a good fighter That's, if she hadn't doped, right? More than likely, yes. And I don't mean to, I'm not trying to interrupt you, Will. More than <clears throat> likely, yes. But we don't know the kind of, de- the way that she was able to shake off punches from women that hit very hard, women like Gina Carano, uh, yeah. you know, uh, Holly Holm. We don't know how she would have reacted to those type of strikes if she were just her. And if, if I were to put the, the picture up there, you'd see how different she looked. And so that's what makes it not fair because the other, the other athlete, the other female athletes uh, didn't have that advantage. You know, what if, what if Amanda Nunes were to take those drugs? Oh, my God. What, I mean, it would be insane what she might be able to do. Uh, but you know what? I want to I move along because literally I think we could do an hour on this topic. I really do. Yeah, we, have, yeah. we should have some special guests for that topic. <laughs> we should. And I, I, I know somebody at Long, in Long Beach State that, that's a professor that might know somebody. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> uh, so anyway uh, Nick, so we spoke earlier um, this week about something that disturbs me. It disturbs you. And I have a suspicion that it may also disturb Will. And that is the UFC's penchant for taking a fighter who is venerable in nature and who has put many years into the UFC and then matching them up with a young lion to send their (laughs) ass out of there on a stretcher and say, have fun in retirement. Uh, And and so that is represented, I guess Dana (laughs) confirmed, Damian Maya versus this this guy they're calling the welterweight Khabib, uh, Kamzad Chimaev. Uh, the Russian wrestler. So uh, what say you, what, what are your thoughts about a confirmation of our, our worst fears in some ways? Yeah, it's, it's unfortunate that they do these types of moves. Um, they've always done these types of moves when they see that a fighter is probably not going to potentially be around in the next, you know, several next few years, now few year, few years, but you know, it's, they're on their sort of, I wouldn't say decline, but you know, their, their best days are kind of maybe behind them. And, you know, they're, they're approaching that sort of legends type of status. And, you know, we've seen it with Anderson Silva. We even seen it with like Tito Ortiz when Tito Ortiz wasn't going to be around in the UFC. They, they put him up against Machida and when Machida was like up and coming and Machida just schooled him. So they've done this for years. Um, it's unfortunate, especially for a guy like Maya. I mean, I get the Tito Ortiz thing where, you know, him and Dana just did not like each other. So Dana just wanted to just, just kind of derail him and make him look bad in front of a lot of people against, you know, Machida. But for Maya, yeah, it's just, I don't know. It's, 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 I don't know. I don't like it. I, I'm a lot of fans don't like it either that are big fans of Maya. It's like, you have a legend in him 
you know, pull him up. You, you should probably pull him up against matches that, who, you know, who would be. Who do you be... want to see him fight? That's what I was going to ask. My, my I, don't, I, don't, ugh, I don't know. Well, he asked for <laughs> like a fight. A, you should he know. did. I mean, the, the Diego Sanchez, is that what you're talking about? The Diego, Diego Sanchez about. fight would be, would be good. I mean, you could pose the argument that uh, people that are fan of Diego Sanchez would say like, oh, well, they're just feeding him to Maya for Diego Sanchez to look bad. But then again, I mean, Diego, Diego Sanchez is He's never been a good. Has he? Yeah. Yeah, he's a he's great, he's a, yeah, he's a great grappler in his own right. And yes. I, I mean, Michael Chiesa kind of uh, out, out grappled him. But beyond that, I can't think of a fight True. that Diego that's Sanchez. That's right. Chiesa, that's a good point. But he didn't yeah. tap him. No, he didn't tap him. Didn't. It was a decision. So, I mean, yeah, that's a, that's a good fight for for both fighters but yeah a guy in uh you know the welterweight khabib it's just like i don't know i mean regardless yeah and let's say this guy loses what do you do with him now well well i i'm assuming if if we saw what happened with damien against uh kamara usman and we saw what happened against i think kobe and we saw kobe yeah. And so, so why do we want to put him against maybe potentially even a better wrestler to embarrass the guy more? Will, yeah. if you if I want to tell Will, if you go online, yeah. you can see Diego Sanchez engage in a grappling match with Marcelo Garcia and doesn't get tapped. Oh wow, <laughs> that's pretty impressive. That's pretty big stuff, right? Yeah. Is that is it is that on at his academy at the no, that, it was uh, AD, ADCC, I think. Oh okay. I, I oh, think, it's a competition. No gee, was yeah. It? Yeah, he was in a no gi. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if it's eighty. Yeah, I think but it, it was. Yeah, I think it was ADCC. Very yes. early, before the Ultimate Fighter. Yeah. So before anybody knew who he was. That's impressive. That is very impressive. But I, I don't know how you feel. I, I really don't like the way of them saying "f you" very much. Have fun in retirement as yeah, they we'll send you out instead of putting an age-appropriate matchup. Right. I mean, you don't want to see some, you know. 40-year-old uh, chick going out with a 20-year-old guy, do you, Will? Come on. Well, from the UFC standpoint, I think it's a smart move because they need to bridge the gap, right? So Damian Maia is a winnable fight for him, uh, but he's also a name for UFC, for the UFC. So they're bridging the gap between the new and the old, so or the older, or experienced, however, whatever terminology doesn't venue. But you know, from their from an organization standpoint, it's a it's a smart match. You, you think so? You, I think the responsibility comes from is from the Maya camp, right? So they're not they have to be able to say this is a good matchup for us. Right. Uh, we prefer right. to do something else or something along those lines. But oh, the UFC's like the UFC's main the UFC's main goal is not to take care of the fighters per se. Their main goal is to make it's there's a dollar value associated with it. Um, to me, it's the toughest, it's the toughest sport. It demands the most. Yeah. And I'm with you. And, I just, and if you look at it in terms of pay, they don't get paid nearly as much as other sporting professionals get paid, but that's a whole different issue. Yeah. But the reason, the reason, the reason why I say that is, you know, there's a level, there's a certain amount of responsibility that the fighters have to take on their own knowing what the ufc is all about what their main goal is yeah and this is per- this is perseus up in front of the camera perseus hey perseus perseus we're doing a podcast oh, no. my, my good my good man my bobcat uh but anyway i'll, so, I'll say one more well please, I, please I have another please 
another somewhat point for in regards to uh, I can't pronounce his name, but the the welterweight Khabib. Do you think he? How how would you how would you bring him up? I, now, I would give you know, him an appropriate matchup to somebody that has uh, that would be a challenge for him that has a similar amount of wins and let him build himself organically. I mean, okay. George St. Pierre didn't climb the ladder by beating Matt Hughes in his, you know, in his first fight. I mean, he fought some other guys. He fought Jason Miller. He uh, fought uh, Dave I think he fought Jay, Jay Haran, I think, too. Yeah, Jay Haran he beat, right? Yeah. Jay Haran uh, Jay actually became a, a good fighter later on. Um, he did. So, yeah. And then they started building him. You know what I mean? And then uh, it got to the point where, yeah, there's really nobody. You know, we got to give him to Matt Hughes. It wasn't a huge welterweight division at that time i think uh hughes had beat um frank trigg etc twice so so yeah gsp got the shot and then he lost he got armbarred so in the first he time and then he, he came back and he and the second time and he he destroyed uh he destroyed matt hughes so um so anyway you know uh yeah i like to see age appropriate that's just me personally i like to see age appropriate matchups and for me uh, Damian Maya saying it would be his last fight. I want to give him if he wants a Diego Sanchez. I would try to make that happen, and and let's see a really cool grappling match between two guys that are really at the end of their career, and let's give the fans something where both guys can cheer and and it would be fun. What how how awesome is it going to be to see uh, uh, Damian Maya potentially getting pounded in the corner uh, for for. You know, however many rounds it ends up being, that's not awesome. The guy. It's kind of. It's going to be kind of like how we felt at the end of the Diaz Masvidal fight, and you're just saying, just stop it. Yes, yes, it could. Yes, it could be like that, which is another reason why. And the Ferguson fight too. Yes, and the Ferguson fight, and and just to to rewind, so I don't even know why we're talking about a Nate Diaz and George Masvidal fight because. Edit, and we're really getting off on a tangent, and we're going to move on to Carlos Bar's Amanda Hibas in a minute, and then we're gonna we're gonna start uh, we're gonna button up the show. But ultimately, when I watch fighting, you have to look at why are we watching fighting in the first place. We want to know who's going to win. Ultimately, that's the bottom line. I want to see two guys go in there, and in my mind, I go, you know what? I don't know who's going to win. We're going to have to see. In this case, we saw a guy get owned by George Masvidal, fought nobody, and now he's going to come back and jump in front of Leon Edwards and all these other cats to get a shot at Masvidal. I, that makes no sense to me. Am I saying I wouldn't want to see it or I won't watch? Yeah, sure, I'll watch. But it's it wasn't competitive the first time. That's what we're watching for. Why do we want to see fights that aren't competitive? What's the point? So we can go, oh, look at that, man. Yeah, I beat him. Well, I think the reason why they're putting on that fight is to entertain the people who are booing in the ring when grapplers are on the ground trying to get position. Yeah. <laughs> it's to entertain those, those individuals because yeah. they just look at it superficially where it's Diaz, Masvidal, oh, Right. Let's order that fight. We'll get drunk and do whatever that we do. And then just like when two guys are trying to get position on the ground, they're booing, asking them to be stood up and not understanding the intricacies of position on the ground and all that good stuff. 
Nick, this was not close last time. No, it wasn't close. It wasn't. I mean, I, the fight kind of played out the way I thought it would. I mean, I'm a big Nate Diaz fan, and, yeah, I think the second one's not going to be any different. I mean, the almighty dollar is the reason why this fight's happening. We all know that. Fans probably know that as well. The UFC's going to put some smoke screen up about how it could be competitive. We'll play clips of Nate Diaz saying that, oh, he didn't have a good camp. He was injured. He couldn't spar or he couldn't oh, yeah. run or whatever. Oh, yeah. And he's just getting warmed up. His fourth, fifth round was his round to come back. You know, and it's going to rally all his fans and be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, they're going to buy it. They're going to bite. I get it. Yeah, we all get it. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's to do fine, a disservice man. to Leon Edwards, it's 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 sad. I mean, I don't know who Leon Edwards is going to fight. I mean. That's the problem. <laughs> he doesn't – he's not scheduled to fight anybody. And then guys are talking about putting him in there with Wonder Boy. If I was his manager, I'd be giving, I'd be giving him two big birds. My guy is not going in there with 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 Wonder Boy because that is a fight that that although I love Leon Edwards, I want to see him fight Woodley. I I not so much Colby. I want to see him actually get a get a shot. You know, get close to a shot. Okay, so Colby would be one. But you go in there and fight Wonder Boy. He's probably going to make you look like a jackass if you can't take him down. That's the bottom line. He's done that to the best strikers in the welterweight division. And George Masvidal, other than is not as good as Wonder Boy as we saw, uh, he wants to see that fight again, and he should. But uh, he he kind of outclassed him last time, and that's kind of what Masvidal did to Nate. But let's talk about somebody else that the UFC looks appears to be wanting to get a loss for, and they I think they want to help out Carla Esparza, um, Nick, and then we'll go to Will in trying to get. <laughs> <laughs> a loss against Amanda Hebas because Amanda Hebas is breaking girls up, man. I Ooh. mean, she got a finish in her last Oof. fight, right? She she nasty, man. She's Woo! Woo! ground and pound with last time. Here's the thing, though. All right, we've seen this. We've seen this scenario quite a few times with uh, Carlos Sparza. Yeah. She's been in this <laughs> yes, situation yeah. before, so it's to really count her out and being like, "Well, she's all she." I mean. The Rose fight for the title. I mean, mm -hmm. Rose is, I think, heavily favored in that one. And freaking Asparza shut her down. Um, I think, did she fight Cynthia Calvillo and beat her no, too? No, she beat, okay. This she is, beat a couple, like, okay, up-and-comers that you this thought. This is her last four. She beat, well, let's say her, okay, one of the girls is from Brazil, so I, I don't, I'm not familiar with her. But then it was Emily Whitmire. She beat okay. on the Engano dos Santos card. She beat Mackenzie Dern, uh, who was undefeated at the time. I'll talk. Yeah, 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 yeah. She yeah, beat yeah. Ronda Marcos, Ronda Marcos. Yeah, yeah. And then she tapped Paige Van Zandt, and it took her all of two minutes and 21 seconds. I'm talking about Esparza. Esparza's been oh, in the I'm position sorry. where – Esparza's been in the position where she – they, you know, she's a vet. People know yeah. how she fights. You know, she's a she's a really great wrestler. She, she's a grinder and everything. Um, and – you know she's been around the block, and they put up, they put her up, they put her up against these up and coming people that are going to be the next big, big thing, and she shuts them down. So, I mean, on paper, yeah, I, I, I would, I would favor Hebas, but honestly, I don't know. I mean, Asparza, she can ruin the the party for Hebas. She can. She's she's kind of beaten fighters 
with a similar background as her as well. I mean, she's really good at shutting down uh, people with really good guards and everything like that if she could get on top. Okay. Now, the stand-up, the stand-up could be, you know, I don't know. The stand-up, yeah, she, she'll probably get pieced up by a he-boss, but this isn't a, this isn't a squash, too big of a squash match that I think some people will view it to be. Okay, so. Nick, I'm willing to go a Lou Malnati's frozen pizza on this one, <laughs> and that'll cost right. you over 40 bucks, and I don't think you really want to go there. Uh-oh. Uh, I, no, I don't. I mean, I don't, I don't want you to have to buy me a pizza, but yeah, I, Fair I, enough. I don't, I, I don't. I don't see it. I don't see it, uh, Willie. I don't know if you saw Amanda Hebos, but she was She's able good. to stop Mackenzie Dern's uh, takedown game, yeah. stop her trip game, and just outstruck her on the feet, man. Well, I know that Dana White on the on the men's side has certain fighters that have been in the UFC for a while that he uses as an assessment or as a test to see what yeah. these up-and-comers have, right? Mm-hmm. So RDA is one that he's admitted. He puts newer guys against RDA, and, he, and then depending on how they do, he knows what they are as a fighter. And it could be the same for Esparza, right, where she's her... That's a good point. She's, yeah. she's his kind of test to see what, what does this fighter really have. And yeah. to be honest, he busts at that point where... You know, she can't, I mean, she's at the point where, yeah, a, a win over Esparza will, will break her into, you know, whatever a top five, whatever yeah. a top contender gatekeeper. type status. Gatekeeper. Yeah. She's a gatekeeper. Yeah. yeah sure. That's that's very fair. And that's probably what, what they're doing with Hebos because she has the kind of style that he likes because, yeah, I, she's really good on the ground. She was able to, to keep from getting, t- she went to the ground with Mackenzie Dern and didn't get tapped. There's very few girls that can say that, uh, particularly in MMA. Uh, and then she pounded her on. She had the ability to gr- ground and pound some, and pound her on the feet. And that's Dana White's kind of fighter right there. Yep. So, all right. So we got to move right along. It is 10:59 um, Central Standard Time. So we're gonna have to call this one. Uh, just really quickly. Um, so for this week's upcoming fights. Michelle Watterson versus Angela. It's UFC Fight Night 177. Michelle Watterson versus Angela Hill. Watterson is 17 and 8. Hill's 12 and 8. What do you say about that one, Nicholas? Uh, I like it. I like the matchup. Um, it's pretty even if you really look at it. It's very even. You know, you don't really know who's really going to win based on what they bring and the experiences that they have. Um, but. I feel that Angela Hill, I mean, I'm a huge Angela Hill fan, so this is quite a bit of bias probably going into this pick, but I think that she is still improving, that she's more hungry. She hasn't had the amount of success that um, Michelle Watterson has yet. So based on those factors, I think that she will have a, I think she will edge out maybe a decision victory and everything like that. I think Michelle Watterson's a great fighter um, and everything, but I think her skills... I've kind of plateaued as far as her striking. Now her grappling is probably getting better and everything. She's got a great grappling game, so but yeah, that's probably still improving. But but for the striking game, hasn't really. I don't know. I haven't seen any um, sort of improvements in regards to that. So that's and I fair. think Angela Hill that's is fair. still improving. So I'm, I'm tepid. I'm I'm with you, and we got to We got to press on because I have to. I get. We got to get out of here. But oh, um, for sure, that is. Uh, I'm with you on that. Uh, but. 
man, Michelle Waterson is so competitive, man. She'll mm -hmm. go for that takedown. She'll go for that inside trip or outside trip. Uh, what say you, Will? Do you have a pick on that fight? I don't have too many data points on Phil, so I'm going to take Nick's word for it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've right. only seen her fight. I only seen her fight once, but when I saw her, she moved well. Super tough. Yeah. Um, but I that was the only fight I've seen her fight. Yeah, she's she is outstanding. Uh, Roxanne Modafferi, uh, the aforementioned uh, grappler, somebody that Nick may be taking to Comic Con. Uh, <laughs> she, she, she was on this show several years ago. I'm trying to remember where I was living when I had her on the show. But that's um, awesome. She's great. Yeah, at 24 and 17, going up against Andre Andrea KGB Lee at 11 and four, a very very tough fighter. So, man. If Modafferi can get this to the ground, man, I think she's such a good grappler. I'll take Modafferi. Nick, just give me a pick because we don't have time. Yeah, to... I'll take Modafferi okay. um, just because of my uh, fandom for her. But I mean, she's an improved. I mean, she's you know a very improved fighter um, and everything. Uh, they fought before and she's won, so mm -hmm. you got to have. They fought in Invicta and she's won. I think that fight, but. Andrea Lee, uh, I think, is she'll have the strength advantage. She'll probably have the stand-up advantage. Um, Andrea Lee's, I think, a brown belt under Helsing yeah. Gracie. So I mean, oh, wow. she's got okay. some, she's got some decent uh, grappling, ground yeah, brown game. But I don't think it's at the level no. of um, Roxanne Modafferi. And if no. Modafferi's on top, her ground and pound on top is really good with the elbows that she implements and everything like that. Like yeah. she's learned at uh, Syndicate MMA. So she get on top or scramble, get on top and maybe, you know, frustrate her with her awkward herky jerky style of stand up. Yeah. She could win it, but I mean, it could be any, <laughs> it could Nick, be anyone's game. Nick, try to think of a costume that you can wear to comic con with her. I, I've seen her wear various <laughs> mortal Kombat figures. See, see what you can drum up for, uh, for that to go meet up with her there. Will, uh... <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna say because Montefiore makes DJ look like Michael Jordan on the feet. <laughs> I'm oh going god, with, god. I'm going with Lee. Oh my god! I, I, I wish. I, I think the only thing I might be able to get on Montefiore is if I took her to the basket, I could probably score. Um, she looks we'll pretty say. tall though. Yeah, Montefiore. I still think I can score on her. I mean, okay. I've, I, I feel like. On the court, I might be able to get something. Probably. Um, and then I'm just going to shout out Alan Nugetch, uh, also known as Alan Patrick Silva Alves, fighting Bobby Green. Alan Patrick. Oh, yeah. Uh, Alan Nugetch, right. when I was training for a short period of time at BTT in Florida, he was invited up by the Mestre there to basically live in the gym uh, and train with people. So uh, we, Kati and I had just moved to Melbourne, Florida, and we invited him over for dinner, and he's just an awesome guy. So That's uh, awesome. with a very, very tough fight with Bobby, he's going to need to get Bobby Green to the ground, and, and uh, if he does get him on the ground, I think he's going to tap him because he has got excellent jiu-jitsu. All right, um, so we're going to have to wrap it up. On uh, next, uh, next time out, uh, we'll probably be reviewing the uh, Colby card versus uh, Tyron Woodley, um, and uh, then we'll be able to do uh, have Will will have his own uh, section of the show, which will be called Will's Woo. And then, oh baby! Uh, <laughs> and then uh, think Ric Flair, and then uh, Nick's Kazone. Oh, so uh, and so everybody's going to get their time to talk about anything that they want to talk about. 
and uh, I'm sure it'll be interesting. And then I might even have something uh, uh, meat-headed to, to offer you guys. Uh, but anyway, so uh, MMA, BJJ, and life, uh, we're going to cover all of those topics. We'll hashtag what, those, uh, what the topic of the show is, if it's MMA or if it's BJJ, which we'll probably do less of just relative. There's not a whole lot going on right now to talk about in the world of BJJ but we will as it comes. And then life is gonna open us up to be able to talk to anybody that we think is interesting. Uh, and uh, think Joe Rogan in, in a sense that uh, he has on people from different realms. And uh, we wanna be able to do that too, because there's a lot, you know, there was a period of time where all I was into was MMA. Uh, I didn't watch the NBA anymore. I didn't watch the NFL, you know, I didn't watch there's a lot of interesting things on podcasts and all I wanted to consume was MMA. And I, I think those days are over and there's a lot of interesting things to talk about in the world of entertainment. And um, believe you me, we will get some of those people on. So, Will. DJ, DJ, was that you pre you being a yogi? Pre yogi? <laughs> pre yogi DJ? No, it was actually at the same time yoga. I was always yoga and well, no, actually, yeah, I mean, I, I was into MMA before yoga, but uh, they coincided uh, for a part of that time. And by the way, <laughs> if, for, if anybody was keeping track, Nick, that was 10 uh, uses of the word right to suffix Wilson. No way. I, I counted yes. two. No, I counted two. I, I know you counted two, but I counted 10. I don't know how, but I, I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> well, each, I one, was, each one was zero, probably zero. worth five. <laughs> zero each one was probably no, worth five. No. I don't know. I, I love hey, we, I was, we'll, I was, we split that pizza, Nick. We split yeah, that pizza. Right, we'll split it. <laughs> I, I, I have to get it in oh, a yeah. will while I can get it because believe oh. you me, if I make a mistake on this He's show, gonna pounce on Will's going to be there to pounce on you. That's got to be two. That's got to be two. <laughs> no, it's not. I swear, Will. <laughs> I'm telling you. <laughs> All right. Oh, DJ. So say goodbye to everybody, Will. <laughs> We will see everyone next time. If you got anything negative to say, DJ will give you his email address. DJ if you like at Gmail. <laughs> and if you if you like the show, just contact me and Nick and let us know how much you like it. But all the negatives yeah. go to DJ. <laughs> Nicholas, rock on, man. Give us a... All right. <laughs> rock and roll forever. Rock and roll. All right, for Will Wu and Nick Kazono, this is DJ San Marco saying peace out on MMA, BJJ, and life. Peace.